Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. A new Army recruit was given guard duty at 2 a.m. He did his best for a while, but at about 4 a.m. he went to sleep. He awakened to find an officer standing before him. Remembering the heavy penalty for being asleep on guard duty, the young man kept his head bowed for another moment, and then he looked upward and said, Amen. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 through 11, we are shown how God does not want us to be asleep to our responsibilities as believers. In the verses previous to this text, and as we looked at in our last episode, Paul had taught about the body of Christ being delivered from the day of the Lord. He teaches that we will have been taken to heaven first at the rapture before the time of wrath ever begins. Paul then, in these verses, turns to the practical ramifications of this and how the body of Christ is to live and to act in light of the rapture and of the tribulation which follows it. Now stop and think about this. Right now, we may be living among people who will enter the tribulation if the rapture comes in our lifetime. Verse 5 teaches that the body of Christ is children of light, children of the day, and God wants us to be a light to the world for Him and for His gospel of grace. The Lord wants us to live rapture-ready, living aware and awake to the fact that He could come at any time and that people around us in life would then go right into the tribulation as a result. And so we are taught to carry out our service for the Lord, being spiritually awake and vigilant, because our life-saving information, our tr- the truth we have to share about Christ, is the unbeliever's only deliverance from the tribulation and from the lake of fire. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 6-7 to seven read, Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. Paul says, therefore, in verse 6, or in light of the fact that we're not going to go through any part of the coming tribulation, and in light of the fact that we are children of light and children of the day, and not of the prophetic night or the darkness of the tribulation, So therefore, we should not sleep as others do. The others in verse 6 means unbelievers. Paul pictures two groups of people here. One group who is asleep and drunk in the night, which speaks of the unbeliever. And the other group is awake and alert in the daytime. And that's speaking of the believer. The apostle draws a clear line of separation, a stark contrast between those who have salvation in Jesus Christ by faith in Him, and those who do not. Darkness and night describes the spiritual standing and state of the unbeliever. Previous to trusting Christ as our Savior, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8 teaches, For ye were sometimes darkness. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says of the believer and the unbeliever, What communion hath light with darkness? 
Colossians 1.13 teaches that when we are saved, we are delivered from the power of darkness. The Bible teaches that unbelievers live in darkness. In this spiritual darkness and night, they do what we all do at night. They sleep. And this is the sleep of spiritual indifference, negligence, carelessness. They have their eyes closed. They can't see truth. They aren't even aware that they're in darkness. And in the darkness, they are lost because they can't see which way to go. And they are not aware in the darkness of the disaster that's coming right at them. They live their lives as if there is no God and that there will never be a judgment before him. Paul makes a simple, common, everyday observation in verse 7. People sleep at night, and people get drunk at night. Sleep and drunkenness goes with the nighttime. Sleep and drunkenness here are illustrations of the spiritual condition of the lost. Paul shows how people who are in spiritual darkness often take on the characteristics of the drunkenness that takes place in the nighttime. Drunkenness causes a person to lack focus and lose control. They can't think straight. They can't walk straight. They make poor choices. They lose sense of right and wrong. It dulls the senses, and they're not aware of the circumstances and true reality around them. And drunkenness can lead to a person's ruin. And many stumble and stagger through life like this. Paul is making two points here for the believer in verses 6 and 7. First is that we need to be aware, we need to be sensitive to the unbeliever's spiritual condition of them, of them being in darkness and their sleeping and drunkenness. We know that the only way that one can be delivered from spiritual darkness is by the light of the glorious gospel of Christ and trusting Christ alone. It is at that point and from that point that one can truly see spiritually. The second thing Paul is teaching us here is that day people should not act like night people. He says, let us, that is the believer, not sleep as do others or the unbeliever. The reason for this instruction is because day people, the believer, can still act like night people, the unbeliever. But the difference between the believer and the unbeliever is literally to be like night and day. This is, our, this is true of our position of being in Christ and not in Christ, but it is also to be true in our practice, in how we live. In Christ, we can live a transformed life by God's grace, and we can live in a completely new and different way as we obey God's word by faith. We are taught by God that our conduct needs to demonstrate our position in Christ. In Christ, we are light. We belong to the day. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, or as non-believers who are asleep spiritually, unaware of what's coming, indifferent and negligent about eternity. We do this because we do know what's coming. We do understand eternity. We understand what awaits those who believe and those who do not believe. With the relief of our deliverance from God's wrath in the day of the Lord comes responsibility for each of us. Believers are to live in the light of the truth and as a light. We see spiritually now. 
So we're to live as a child of light that we are, warning people about the judgment to come, sharing the light and truth of God's Word. God uses rescued people to rescue people, and that is our calling as believers. We're called to be like the old elevator operator at a hospital in Nashville who once said, I'm just a nobody telling everybody about somebody who can save anybody. God's plans and purposes, it's the daytime. It's the day of grace. We are children of the day, but night is coming, the night of the tribulation. Paul's analogy here is, since it's daytime, and not the night of the tribulation yet, we shouldn't be sleeping during the day. Instead, we should be awake to what's going on around us spiritually, as this world is speeding toward the night of God's wrath, and as we are surrounded by those who need the Savior. Sleep is natural to night people, but not to day people. Going through life sleeping should not characterize the believer who are people of the day, but it can. So Paul teaches the church that we need to make a determined effort to stay awake, to not be spiritual sleepwalkers. We should not be spiritually dull and negligent. Instead, we should be full of care toward the unbelieving and their need of the Lord. Because it's easy to sleep through life. It's like the guy who said, I'm so good at sleeping, I can do it with my eyes closed. God doesn't want the church to be good at sleeping and slumbering spiritually. As believers in Christ, we're taught to be awake and to live with our spiritual eyes open. And this is what Paul means when he says, let us watch. Watch means to be alert, to be awake. As we remain rapture ready, we're to watch against laziness in our life, distraction in our life, complacency in our spiritual lives. And we are to watch for the Savior and for His return. And we are to watch for those around us in life who need to be warned about the judgment to come that follows Christ's return. Watch in sober, in verse 6, is in contrast to the sleep and drunkenness of verse 7. Sleep and drunkenness are two ways to define insensitivity. So, being watchful and sober, being the opposite, are two ways to define sensitivity to spiritual realities. Paul says for the believer, we are to live alert, watchful, looking at life, looking at the world, looking at people, as God does, with His heart of love, remembering the truth of His Word, that the night of the tribulation is approaching and could begin at any time because the rapture could happen at any time. Being sober is the opposite of drunkenness. The stress here is not merely on not being drunk, but on the self-control in comparison to the lack of control and drunkenness. Sober speaks of having focus, having purpose, being filled with moral and spiritual seriousness, being zealous for what is true, honorable, and right according to God's Word. It means to not be indifferent, but to have a clear mind and be balanced in life, consistent in life, and steady spiritually. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. 
Understanding Your Bible is an 18-page booklet transcribed from episode 38 of our program, Transformed by Grace, written and taught by Pastor Kevin Sadler, president of the Berean Bible Society. In this booklet, we learn that the Bible is by far the best-selling book in the world today. Nothing could be more vitally important than to read, study, and understand your Bible. The Bible is meant to be understood. God wants us to understand it. But in order for us to understand it, we have to read, study, learn, and apply it in the right manner. Our purpose at the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand and enjoy the Bible. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. This message is also available on DVD. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8 reads, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Notice that Paul doesn't say, please be day people. He says, you are day people. We are day people, so we are instructed here to act accordingly. And as people of the day, and to act accordingly, we are to be sober, and wear God's armor of the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. In other words, when you see that that trinity there, the, the armor is faith, love, and hope. This trilogy here is described as armor to protect us in this world and for how we are to reach out to the world as we are awake spiritually. As Paul thinks about a person who is awake, watchful, and alert, His mind goes to the one who is the most watchful, most sober-minded, most alert, and that would be a soldier on duty. And he sees him properly armed with protective armor. The breastplate and helmet were two essential pieces of equipment to protect a Roman soldier in Paul's day. Those are two vital areas of the body. The breastplate covering all the vital organs and, of course, the helmet covering the head. A Roman breastplate covered a soldier from his neck to his waist. It could be made of chain mail. Some of them were made out of heavy cloth or brass or iron or leather. And basically, in our day, as we would think of it, it would be like a bulletproof vest. The parallel that we would understand to a helmet would be like a football helmet or a motorcycle helmet that could protect blows from crushing the skull. The breastplate, Paul says, represents faith and love. And the helmet represents the hope of salvation. It's the breastplate of faith and dependence toward God. And it's the breastplate of God's love through us toward people. Now, as you consider this in its context, it is faith in the truth of the always imminent pre-tribulational rapture of the church. It's faith in the coming judgment that's coming to this world in the day of the Lord. It's fully believing and knowing that is true because God says it's true. 
It is faith resulting in action on our part. In the context, it's love for others, not wanting others to face the judgment to come in the tribulation, wanting others to have the glorious hope of the rapture as we do. It is love resulting in action on our part, having on a breastplate of faith toward God and love toward others will cause us to live awake and passionately for the Lord and to stand ready at all times as children of light for Him. By faith in God, He is able to make us stand out as a light and not sleep as do others. Faith and love are connected. As faith in the Lord is increased, then God's love increases and is transmitted through the believer's life. Because when faith is weak, love grows cold. But when faith is strong, love grows zealous. The helmet of the hope of salvation is what guards our heads from attacks on our thinking. The hope of salvation is not a vague or wishful longing that someday that we hope we might be saved. The hope that at the last we will be saved and go to heaven. Believers have a sure hope based on the truth of the word of God. Hope of salvation means the hope that salvation gives to us. And the hope of salvation in this context is the rapture. The hope of salvation is the certainty that if we who believe die before Christ returns, then to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And at the rapture, the Lord will bring us with Him, and our bodies will be raised first to be united to our soul and spirit forever. The hope of salvation is the certainty that if we are alive and that we remain when He returns, we will be raptured. We will be caught off the earth to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with Him. The helmet is about having the hope of salvation always on our minds. So we realize the need of others around us who, as chapter 4 talks about, those who have no hope. This helmet is about thinking of others, sharing our hope with the unbelieving, so they may have the sure hope that we have in Christ. Notice how the exhortation to put on the breastplate and the helmet is in the present tense in verse 8 is he says, putting on or keep putting on. While we wait and while we are rapture ready, we live in a world of spiritual darkness that is hostile to spiritual truth and to God's word. And it is an ongoing fight. There is a battle raging all around us at all times, a battle for the hearts and minds of people. Every believer in the church is a soldier in that battle. Thus, we must keep putting on our armor of faith, love, and hope, of faith toward God, love toward others, in light of our sure hope of salvation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 9-11 through 11 read, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Speaking of the hope of salvation in verse 8, Paul says in verse 9 that God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation or deliverance. 
Now, the wrath and salvation in this context is not about being saved from the wrath of God in hell, but deliverance from the wrath of God in the day of the Lord, in the tribulation, by the salvation of the rapture. The word appoint means a destiny, an appointed end. Now, we all make appointments, doctor appointments, dentist appointments, haircut appointments, oil change appointments, but we often have to cancel appointments. We plan for the future. Most of you have already planned where you're going to eat lunch or dinner, but often our plans don't always work out the way we intend and they change. God's appointment, His plan for us, is so certain that you can call it a destiny. Nothing will cancel. Nothing will change it. God cannot lie. His promise is true. If you have trusted Christ as your personal Savior, your destiny is salvation, glory, the rapture, and heaven. You will not suffer wrath when it is poured out on this world. You will not go through any part of the coming tribulation period. In chapter 1, verse 10, Paul wrote that we are delivered from the wrath to come. Here he writes that we're not appointed to wrath. When God pours out his wrath on this world in the day of the Lord, that wrath will not be poured out on us because we will not be here. We're destined for heaven. God has made an appointment for us that we are delivered from that time of wrath on earth. And Revelation 6.17 says of that time, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? But God has not appointed us, the church, the body of Christ, to that wrath that he will pour out during the tribulation period. Rather, he has appointed that we obtain salvation and deliverance from that wrath by the rapture. And you have to love the end of verse 9. By our Lord Jesus Christ. Our deliverance is by our Savior, who personally comes for us at the rapture to deliver us from the wrath to come. And the salvation at the rapture is on the basis of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation uh, at the cross, the price that He paid for our sins, the basis for our confidence and our sure hope of deliverance is what verse 10 says, He died for us. This is why we can be delivered from the wrath to come and taken straight into the presence of God in heaven because all our sins have been paid for. He died that we might live together with Him forever. He died for you. He died for me. So we will never have to face the wrath of God. Any of it. Whether in the tribulation period when it's poured out on the world or in the lake of fire for eternity. He died for us is the greatest message. It is the good news of the cross. He died on our behalf. He died in our place. He died as our substitute. He died to accomplish for us what we could never have without Him, salvation from all of our sins. He bore in His body your sins and mine. He paid sin's penalty for us. He died for us that we might become His own and live together with Him. And that together in that verse is the whole body of Christ. 
And at the rapture, we will all be together with Christ and together with each other forever and ever. Then Paul says, whether we wake or sleep, and that means watch or sleep. Wake is the exact same Greek word as watch in verse 6. And the word sleep also refers to verse 6. Sleep is not the same Greek word used for sleep in chapter 4, verse 14, when it refers to physical death. Sleep here speaks of spiritual indifference and carelessness. This is important. What Paul is saying here is that whether believers are spiritually awake or spiritually asleep, we will all be caught up to meet the Lord to live with Him forever. Our eternal salvation does not depend on what we do or what we don't do, but on the fact that Christ died for us and that we trusted Him. So whether we are living a vibrant, passionate, awake Christian life, or a sleepy, slumbering, indifferent Christian life, our salvation depends on not what we do, but on what Christ has done completely, and on faith in Him alone. Chapter 4, verse 18, speaks of comfort. Verse 11 here speaks of comfort. Verses 1 to 10 in between, they are bracketed by comfort. The catching away of the church to heaven is comfort. The truth that we're not going to go through the tribulation is comfort. The first is positive. The second is negative. Both are comforting. The fact that we will be with our believing loved ones again and we'll be with them forever and be with the Lord forever, all of that is comforting. The fact that we will not face God's tribulation wrath, that is very comforting too. And Paul says to comfort, encourage, build up one another together with this truth. There's no reason to be fearful or discouraged at all with the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. And we each in the body of Christ are to be God's channel of comfort by our understanding of God's word rightly divided. We gain strength and comfort with the confidence of understanding that makes us look into the future, and that, knowing that we can face it with confidence, without fear, knowing that we will never experience the wrath of God and the tribulation, and that the rapture could happen at any time. Verses such as these wake us up and remind each of us about the importance of living for the Lord and not sleepily walking through life. The light we have about things to come and knowing about the wrath that is coming to the world is to make us realize the seriousness of our responsibilities as believers. Our message for the day, people, is be comforted. Don't worry. For the night people, the message is be warned and be worried. If you are not saved, then God says you have an appointment too. And it's an appointment with death and judgment. And it may come sooner than you expect. Hebrews 9.27 teaches, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. But as Romans 10.13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just trusting that Christ died for your sins and rose again, you are saved. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. 
The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.